welcome to Shoot This Now, the podcast where every week we talk about stories that should be made into TV shows or movies. My name is Tim Malloy. Our guest this week is Leon Nafok, host of the outstanding podcast Slow Burn. Slow Burn is a must-listen if you like history, if you like politics, scandal, or just knowing how human beings work. Last season was about Watergate. This season is about the Clinton Lewinsky situation. And if you're like me, you would have probably said a few months ago that you didn't want to hear anything else ever about the Clinton Lewinsky situation. That was before Slow Burn. Leon and his team have managed to make this story fascinating again. They found angles no one else has found. They found frames that are completely different. It'll make you rethink a lot of what you thought about that whole situation. Uh, my co-host Matt Donnelly is not here this week because he is on, um, I'm not supposed to talk about this, but a secret mission for peace. Uh, if you'd like to know more about that, you should follow us at Shoot This Now Pod. Follow us at, at Shoot This Now Pod, I guess I should say. Uh, subscribe to us on iTunes. Subscribe to us on Spotify. There's a lot of cool stuff coming to this podcast, but you might miss it if you don't do those things. If you can throw us five stars while you're there, that would be great. We'd be really happy. Uh, the music this week comes from the Ghetto Boys. They're great. I hope you'll re-familiarize yourself with their work because we may be talking about them very soon on a future episode. Finally, one last thing. Matt has asked me not to tell you that his secret mission for peace involves Beyonce. Okay. My wife, who works in branding, always says not to drop too many calls to action because people will forget them. So if I can just try to summarize everything we've talked about. Uh, Ghetto Boys, Matt Donnelly is a spy for Beyonce. Uh, follow us, subscribe, all that good stuff. And here is our awesome guest, Leon Nafok, host of Slow Burn. I'm really impressed with all the new ways you found to tell the Clinton Lewinsky story because I remember covering it as kind of a cub reporter, um, nowhere near the center of the action. I was getting like, you know, local local reaction to everything that was happening. Um, uh, where were you? I was at the Associated Press in Phoenix. Oh, okay, cool. They would they would send me out to nursing homes and bars and things like that to see how see how his statements were playing with the public. Mm-hmm. It was it was fun. I thought how old, how old are you when you did that? I was like 22 or 23, and one thing I specifically remember is something you talk about in your latest episode, which is the speech where Bill Clinton finally admitted wrong, but he said, you know, at the same time the Star investigation has gone too far, they're harassing my family and friends, and I remember being sent out to a retirement home to get reaction to that speech, and a woman who told, who looked at the screen and said, you know, there it is, he apologized, like, let's move on, that's it. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, I think I think there was a disconnect between how people in D.C. perceived that speech and how like regular people did, because I think in in D.C., like particularly the, you know, even Democrats who who felt like he had lied to them and felt like he was, you know, what he really owed people was a sort of a purely uh, basically they're looking for like a pure apology with no with no with no uh, with nothing else attached to it. But instead, he 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 obviously um took the opportunity to kind of protest the investigation. And I think that, that rubbed people the wrong way. But then as it turned out, uh, you know, the folks who watched from home didn't, didn't seem to mind. I also remember being really surprised at the number of people who said, oh, you know, he's a man. That's what men do. Yeah. Yeah. The next episode we're doing uh, for next week is a, sort of like a mirror image of the, of the episode we just did, where it's kind of about the, the reaction on the left um, with a focus on, on, on feminists and, um, and uh, yeah, there was a big debate sort of about, you know, among among liberals who, who supported Clinton about whether, um, you know, this was something that uh, required 
uh, you know, judgment or whether it was something that, you know, should be uh, left to him and his family to deal with. And, you know, if Hillary was okay with it, then why shouldn't everybody else be? Um, but yeah, I think like the sort of men will be men argument was definitely one that... It was a weird time to be a neutral, you know, unbiased reporter because in my heart, I'm a, you know, 22-year-old who definitely leaned left and was horrified by the whole thing. I was like, no, this uh-huh. is terrible. Like this, the, like Monica Lewinsky is about my age. This is completely uh-huh. wrong. Why isn't he going down for this? And did you feel, was that, was that, what was the sort of like the, the, the core of your, of your uh, anger? Was it that she was so young? Was it that he just cheated on his wife? Was it that he lied? Or what was the, well, do you remember what the core of your, or was it all, all, all of the above? The core of it was really that he lied under oath and that I thought it was incredibly selfish for him to risk his entire agenda for something as tawdry as this, that it was really selfish for him to not be able to control himself when there was so much at stake for so many people. And, mm-hmm. and of course, if you're, I, I'm, I was just kind of a total boy scout about you don't lie under oath. I mean, I'd been, mm-hmm. I, I'd been deposed in a college journalism lawsuit. And so I took really seriously oh, wow. the, idea, the idea of you have to tell the truth under oath. You can't. And um, speaking of truth, <laughs> on this podcast, we talk about stories that should be made into movies and TV shows. Have you gotten any Hollywood interest in turning any of your stories into movies or TV shows? Um, it seems like there are a lot of different angles and mini stories within within slow burn that could be turned into stories. I'm thinking of Martha, the very first episode, the latest episode with Bob and Bill Bennett, the two brothers who are at odds. It just seems like there's a lot of things that could be televised or or on the big screen. Uh yeah, so we've we've done we've done we've had some conversations with people mostly on on the T V side. Um you know, no, nothing nothing uh nothing to report yet. But uh you know, I I've I've always felt like that there were, as you said, a bunch of different movies that could be that could kind of be uh you know kind of picked out of these of these episodes i think the martha one as, as you mentioned is uh probably the the, the biggest no-brainer to me like she's just such a such a larger than life character that you can imagine um you know just really zooming in on her story and kind of trying to tell the story of watergate through through her um yeah personally i think it would work great <laughs> i've never i've never read, i've never had any experience with hollywood before and 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 the, the one thing I, I i knew going into it was that uh, I forget the exact quote and I forget where it comes from, but someone said like Hollywood will only make a movie if uh, they run out of reasons not to. <laughs> meaning, meaning there's meaning it can go wrong at 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 every stage of the process, and and uh, you can't count on it until you're until you until you see the credits roll. <laughs> One of my favorite things about the podcast is how you make me see people in a different light and surprise me. Uh, it seems like your impressions have changed of Monica Lewinsky, of Bill Clinton. Can you talk about the people who kind of surprised you the most as you learn more about them? Yeah, I mean, so when, when this first happened, I was a kid, right? So I was, in 1998, I was in eighth grade. Um, and, you know, I, I think my most of my political intuitions came from just, you know, my parents, largely. Um, and And so to me, it was just like sort of a, kind of an assumed uh fact of life that, that Clinton was our guy and and the people who were going after him were um you know were were doing so out of opportunism and uh political uh calculation right so um you know I think my 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 
evolution on this, I guess, since I started working on the show, has kind of shifted to, yes, the people who were going after him were doing so out of political opportunism in many cases, um, but that doesn't mean that his behavior is beyond judgment or is, uh, you know, should automatically be excused. Um, you know, I, I, I had always thought of Monica Lewinsky um, as someone who had been a victim of the media, for sure, in terms of how she was portrayed, in terms of how, you know, her identity was sort of frozen in time as a result of just how famous she was immediately as soon as the story broke. Um I guess I, I, I didn't I did not uh, have any appreciation for a how long the affair went on. Um, I kind of I don't I guess I didn't really know. I, I actually caught myself wondering well, what, what, what when I when I realized it had gone on for you know more than a year, uh, well over well over a year um, if, if you include sort of all the on and off periods. Um, I was I, I I was stunned to find out how long it went on, and then I was also sort of um, taken aback by how hard she took it. Um, not not because she's so, you know, such a fragile flower, but because uh, Clinton really kind of strung her along. Um, you know, there was a period when uh, she, she, after she was transferred out of the White House into a job at the Pentagon, which is where she met Linda Tripp, um, you know, she was really desperately trying to get back into the White House to kind of was hoping that Clinton, once he was reelected um, in 1996, that he would bring her back because that's what he told her was, you know, or at least that's how she remembers it. We can be reunited. Um and it really just it really just drove her up the wall, I think, and it and it made her extremely, um, you know, drove her to to to, to real despair. Um, and I think I think reading about that, and I you know, I have I've not I've not interviewed Monica Lewinsky, but I've sort of tried to piece together her account through, you know, looking at her grand jury testimony and um, looking at the biography that was written about her, Monica's story, in which she participated, uh, watching twenty years ago. Um, it just kind of drove home for me, like, oh, this, 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 um, this desperation that she felt, um, this total lack of control that she had, that she felt over the relationship. This is like, this is why, this is why you don't uh, do this with someone so much younger than you and so much less um, powerful than you, because it inevitably kind of turns it into a uh, a one sided thing where one person has all the power. Um, and the relationship has to sort of play out on, 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 on that person's terms. Absolutely. I didn't realize until your latest episode that she thought at one point she would spend the rest of her life with him or wanted to spend the rest of her life with him. That's something that she says after she agrees to cooperate with Ken Starr's investigation. How did you find that? How did you learn that? That was a quote from, uh, from her biography. She said that to her biographer. Um, you know, and there's, there's like other, other places where, um, she said, you know, or maybe her friends sort of testified, I think, to the fact that she was, and maybe this is partly, this is something that Linda Tripp also uh, heard her say and then repeated that, you know, she was like partly imagining pushing him around in a wheelchair when he was old, you know, and and I'm not sure she, I'm not sure she, she thought about it as like concretely or as literally as, oh, like he will leave, you know, he will like actually leave Hillary Clinton for me. I don't know how specific her, her, kind of fantasy on that count God, but um, she certainly didn't think of it as like a, as just a, a sex thing. Um, it was definitely very much an emotional, uh, an emotional affair for her. See, this is what's really good about Slow Burn. I, when I ask you for a source on something, 
you have three sources. <laughs> I think you definitely passed the Woodward test. I am I am I am proud to say that we we have not had a uh, not had to uh, correct anything uh, since the show started, uh, which is which is a point of pride. <laughs> when you talked to Linda Tripp, it seemed like you guys kind of had a nice rapport. Yeah, we had a nice chat. <laughs> I spent a lot of time talking to her. Um, you know, in addition to the sort of two uh, two and a half hour two hour conversation that we had the night that I first called her and ended up sort of. Uh, was I interviewing her over the course of you know this this phone call? Um, she had said at the beginning of the call that she did not want to participate in the show, um, but you know we hadn't we hadn't really established terms. We hadn't said anything was off the record, so I started recording the call. Um, and I talk about this on the in the episode. Um, and I kind of did I kind of did that because I kind of thought, well, this might be my only shot. She, you know, after she hangs up, I might never speak to her again. Um, and who knows what she'll say? So I just wanted to have it just in case. Um, and, and my thought was, well, you know, if, if I if I fail to get her to sit for an interview, then we can start thinking about whether uh, this uh, ill-begotten uh, tape can be uh, can be used in the show. But it, 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 as as it turned out, uh, I was sort of spared the the moral choice uh, by, by by virtue of her agreeing to to let me come see her. And so uh, first, I I went up to her um, horse farm and uh, spent better part of a day there, just hanging out and. Uh, talking i mean it wasn't as casual as i'm making it sound but it was not on the record it was not it was sort of not an interview it was just like her trying to size me up essentially and to decide whether she wanted to to trust me with her story um and by the end of that day she decided that she that she felt comfortable going forward and so a couple days later my producer andrew parsons and i came back uh and uh and did a formal interview so all that's to say um I spend many hours talking to her and I think it's really hard if you spend that many hours with someone, you know, someone bearing their soul to not come away with a real sort of vivid sense of their humanity. And, you know, even as, even, even someone as, um, you know, I use this phrase in the show, like even as someone as cartoonishly villainous as, as Linda Tripp, you know, you, you spend that much time with her and you realize, you know, maybe she's, maybe she, maybe she made really bad decisions. Maybe she kind of acted, you know, deceptively in a, in a way that I would never do. And in a way that I think she shouldn't have. Um, but I, I was sort of convinced that, um, at least in her mind, she wasn't doing something evil. She was doing something that she, that she knew was wrong, uh, and that she felt guilty about while she was doing it, but that she thought was sort of a means to an end. Um, you know, I think, I think she was wrong. I think she was wrong about that. Uh, the notion that she was helping Monica Lewinsky by doing this seems insane. Um, you know, but but at the same time, uh, you kind of gotta judge a person uh, by their own uh, yardstick in a certain way, or at least uh, that's that's something that you you can incorporate into your into your view of them. And and I think that's that's something that I kind of ended up doing after after talking to her. One of the most humanizing things for me was the great detail you included when you and your producer went to her horse farm to interview her. She offered you both sandwiches. Oh yeah, she didn't. Just, she didn't just offer. She made. She she made us sandwiches. Yeah, we 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 took her up on it. <laughs> okay, so I have to ask, what kind of sandwiches were they? Um, <laughs> were they good sandwiches? What kind of small talk did you make while you were eating the sandwiches? Uh, I don't actually remember what kind of sandwiches they were. Um, I think like basic cold cold cut situation. Um, I don't know. She was really super generous. You know, we we she wanted us to be uh, comfortable and. She wanted us to feel at home. Uh, it was it was very sweet. Um, you know, as far as the small talk, I think we I think the small talk uh, 
mostly happened like the day before, two days earlier when I was just alone with her and we were just talking. And I think, you know, I told her about myself quite a bit and told her about my, you know, where I come from and what my career has been up to this point and, you know, talked about uh, my family and all that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, just kind of regular get, get get to know you stuff. Did you find anything in common? Well, one thing was that I, for some reason, was really struck by the fact that she speaks German with her husband at home. Um, and, it, and then I, I kind of, it kind of contributed to my sense of her being up kind of apart from the world. Like she sort of retreated from the world a little bit um, by virtue of living, you know, in this rural area, by virtue of not really giving a lot of interviews and sort of by having this hermetically sealed uh, small uh, world in which she, she spoke a language, you know, that uh, her neighbors didn't necessarily speak. Um, the reason I bring that up in response to your question is that I, I grew up uh, speaking Russian at home, and so we, we sort of bond, bonded over that. <laughs> your parents are Russian? Yeah, I was actually, I was actually born there myself, uh, and we moved over when I, when I was five years old. Which part of Russia? Moscow. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> so you were actually, you grew up behind what we would have called the Iron Curtain. That's right. I was born in, uh, in 85. <laughs> How did that change your impression of the U.S. and covering our politics? Well, I mean, you can't. I can't say how did it change because you only know yeah. <laughs> your perspective. But how did it inform well, your perspective? I don't know. I think you know. I think part of um, I think what there's a there's sort of a stereotype about, about Russian immigrants in America that they are often very conservative, um, and that's because I think they saw the horrors of you know, a leftist, uh, communist society. Um, you know, my mother, uh, is, is a, you know, she, as I said before, like my parents were Clinton supporters and, um, my mom, you know, was very much a votes democratic. Um, but I think she probably instilled in me like some skepticism towards, uh, sort of leftist ideas, I guess that I've, that I've been processing uh since since childhood i don't know how that uh exactly affected has affected my like read on american politics but um every once in a while i'll catch myself sort of having like a, a reaction to to something um that i can trace back to sort of her sort of ingrained distrust of of uh of socialism in the first season i don't feel like you cut nixon any breaks and in this season i don't feel like you've cut clinton any breaks i think you've been a fair dealer um applying the same rigor to both sides Thanks. Yeah, I mean, with <clears throat> excuse me, with with uh, with with Nixon, it was it was uh, a little bit different than with Clinton because there aren't a lot of Nixon apologists out there anymore, right? There's not like there's not like a, a movement to rehabilitate his image, particularly. Uh, I think there was for a while, you know. And we when we did when we did a live show uh, at the end of last season, we 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 kind of wrote a, a story that we performed live about. Nixon's own efforts to kind of rehabilitate his reputation, kind of in, to emerge as a, as a statesman um, in the wake of Watergate. But by the time we got to it, more than 40, 40 years after the fact, uh, I didn't find, I didn't feel particularly compelled to dwell on like his foreign policy victories or whatever, or, like because Watergate just overshadows it so much. And I, there's not a lot of people who I think would argue with that. With Clinton, you know, I think it's more complicated because, you know, not only was the country extremely prosperous under his administration, but he was genuinely popular. He was, he was someone people loved. You can't just kind of disapprove of that. You know, that's not a point of view that you can start with and make a show that, uh, 
kind of genuinely explores the past. I feel like our, our, our MO with the show is to try to understand where everyone was coming from, right? So that means try to understand where the Christian right was coming from when they uh, denounced him. It means trying to understand where Linda Tripp was coming from when she made you know the choices that she made. Um, and it means trying to understand where Clinton was coming from. Uh, you know, and, and I mentioned uh, the upcoming episode earlier about uh, how feminists and, and liberals re- responded to the, to the scandal. Um, I think one aspect of that was that he was humanized uh, by, by this whole ordeal. I think people saw in him, you know, a person being pursued by uh, law enforcement, by law enforcement in a way, like someone who uh, was being hunted and, and, and they imagined themselves being hunted in the same way or imagine themselves having to kind of be naked in front of the, the whole world in the way that he was when he, for instance, gave his grand jury testimony, um, you know, a video of which was, was released to the public. And so people watched that and people, people felt for him, I think. Um, and so that's, you know, that's, that's, that's just true. It's, uh, it's not something that we, that I think it's not something that we felt like we can we can pronounce whether they those people were wrong or right. I think the the, the object of the show is to try to re- retrace you know the logic and the emotional logic of of how people ended up there. And you can really only do that by talking to both sides, even people who've been portrayed as cartoonishly villainish. Did I say villainish right? Car- car- <laughs> car- cartoon cartoon villains. Um, do you think that coming at this sort of from the outside, um, you know, the way that Tom Tom Wolf used to say that wearing the white suit everywhere he went made him a bit of an alien. People just didn't know what to make of this guy, and so they would explain everything to him like a complete outsider. Do you think that you were able to play an outsider card at all and just say, "Look, I don't come from generations of being Democrats or generations of being Republican"? Yeah, I think I I think I was not necessarily because of like my Russian background, but because of my age. Like I, I was able to sincerely tell someone like Linda Tripp, like, look, I, I, I am conscious of the, of the sort of intuitions I inherited and I am currently trying to, you know, pressure test them and reassess them. And, uh, I sincerely don't know the story. I sincerely don't know the details. And so, um, I think that helped kind of, uh, I think that encouraged, you know, certain people I talked to, including Linda Tripp to, feel like I, I was there to um, learn something, you know, and to try to, to try to understand something that I went into an interview not understanding. Um, so, yeah, I think I, 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 I certainly tried to emphasize the extent to which I was coming to the story with a with a blank slate or with as, with as blank a slate as possible. I'm a huge fan of reporting where I can't tell what the reporter thinks, um, where there's a lot of information <laughs> there, but I really can't. I, I really can't discern your political views. And what you said about skepticism of socialism um, adds to that. I really don't. I don't. Are you coming at this from a particular philosophical or political agenda? The agenda is such a tainted, loaded word. But from a pers- <laughs> from a from a perspective, and it's fine to have a perspective. But I, I think the answer is honestly no, because. Uh... My hope with this show, and honestly, with everything I've, you know, everything I've, I've, everything I wrote even before I started doing the podcast, was not to kind of try to arrive at a conclusion as to whether something was good or bad, or whether someone, you know, was was good or evil, um, but to try to try to harvest the details and the and the plot points that um, make it interesting and that make and that sort of provoke people to. Um, kind of question their assumptions and to uh, try to 
just try to tell just try to tell the best story possible. Um, and I think that I think uh, I'm not saying that you can't tell a story. Uh, you know, if you if you if if your if your um, priority is to um, make a certain make make a specific political point, um, I think it's certainly possible. It's something I'm not very good at doing. Um, but you know, that said, it's not like this is a this is some like a purely objective. You know, without you know a, some purely objective account, lacks perspective. I think you need a point of view. You need to have a, a read on on what you think happened, and you have to have a uh, you know you have to have a perspective. Otherwise, I think it's boring because you know you're just reading or hearing a bunch of you know facts that that are uh, that lack any kind of frame. Um, but so I think there's a thin line between having a point of view uh, that is engaging and having a sort of thesis that you are trying to prove. Uh, and I try to stay on the on the first half of that line. You need a narrative, but you're not necessarily trying to score political points or something like that. Yeah, or like you're not trying to just you're not trying to. I'm not, I'm not here to try to prove that Clinton was a good president or a bad president. I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to convince people that he should have resigned or he shouldn't have resigned. Um, I'm just trying to put as much put 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 the parts of the story out that will um kind of enrich people's own uh, analysis of those questions it feels like you've deliberately avoided drawing any parallels with trump um some of your audience has drawn parallels particularly with the nixon season but i don't feel like you've done that have you deliberately avoided that yeah so uh you know when we started the show uh last year um one of the reasons we wanted to do a watergate podcast is that Watergate kept coming up in the news as a reference point for what was happening uh, with Trump, and so obviously, you know, that, which is to say, like we we went into it with uh, with the understanding that there might be parallels uh, that would make the make this history relevant to the present, uh, but we did not know how many sort of micro parallels we would discover along the way, um, how many like plot points would just like feel like exact echoes of stuff that's been happening now, and so we we we, we sort of we're surprised by how many of those little parallels we found and uh, we're honestly quite delighted by them in many cases, but we didn't try to, we didn't try to lean into it too hard. We didn't try to um, seek them out or, or emphasize them too much because honestly we didn't really need to emphasize them at all. They were just so, so clear. Um, I think the reason not to mention Trump uh, explicitly uh, is not to be coy. I think it's, I think it's partly because it was sort of pollute, I think people's, uh, kind of ability to 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 process the story on its own terms. But I think the other thing is that um, one of the reasons people like the show, I think, is that Trump's not in it. I think people right now have some Trump fatigue. I think they 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 understand that what's happening is really, really important and really, you know, deserves their attention. Um, and yet, like, they're just sick of hearing his name. Uh, and so I think the first season of Slow Burn and possibly the second has, has sort of allowed people to... Um, you know, interpret the news about Trump and interpret his presidency, um, but to do so without um, without actually sort of being forced to uh, hear his voice or to think about him uh, directly, if that makes sense. Some Democrats have talked about impeaching President Trump. Um, Trump has brought it up himself, I think, to kind of rally his base to his defense. You, having covered Nixon and Clinton, know more about impeachment than almost anyone do you have any advice for Democrats who are thinking about impeaching Trump? <laughs> uh, I don't know if I'd frame it as advice, but um, I will say that I, 
<laughs> I will say that I didn't realize that in the wake of uh, the Clinton uh, Lewinsky story coming out in, in January of ninety eight that that the Republicans were very for the most part restrained in terms of talking about impeachment. Like they they made a similar calculation that Democrats seem to be making now, which is that we don't need to be using the I word uh, until. It's right until the time is right, and you know that back in January of '98, that meant waiting for Ken Starr to, um, to, uh, to 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 deliver his his report and his conclusions, um, and in this case, maybe the, you know Mueller's investigation is the is the obvious parallel. Uh, I think what you, I think what I what I didn't appreciate uh, as much as I do now uh, is how important it is for an impeachment to be bipartisan. Um, you know, it was something that. Uh, the people involved in the in the Watergate uh, era impeachment drive understood uh, that if you that if you that if it's just a party line thing, um, it's going to look partisan and it's going to look illegitimate. Um, in, pr- in practical terms, it, me- it, w- it would mean that you can't actually remove the president in the Senate because in the Senate you need a two thirds majority, which means you need people from both sides of the aisle to sign on. Um, with Clinton, you know, I think Republicans had had a hope that that Democrats would abandon Clinton um, and that if they did, there would be enough of them you know, defecting that they could get that two-thirds majority or at least sort of gather enough pressure on Clinton that he would just voluntarily step aside. Um, so, yeah, I think, I, I guess, I suppose maybe it's, it's obvious that, that you that you need the other party to, to be on board. I think I, I might have been maybe inclined to be more skeptical of that before I learned all this stuff because... Uh, you can imagine an argument that says, "Well, like if you believe he should be impeached, then you should you should try to impeach him." Um, what what's what what does it matter what anybody what anybody else thinks? But I think the takeaway from these two stories, Clinton and Nixon, is that plowing ahead and not worrying about how the other side is thinking about it will leave uh, will leave you with at best a symbolic victory. You know, which which is what I think Republicans got with with the with the impeachment. They impeached Clinton in the House, um, but they did not remove him. Uh, what what that did for them, uh, you know, I don't know. There's a key moment in the new episode about Joe Lieberman where we're going to find out – there's sort of some tension around which way Joe Lieberman will go. Will he call for Clinton to step down? Will he call for impeachment? And he ultimately doesn't. He really calls him out pretty harshly, but he doesn't uh, go any further than that. And that sort of provides a path for other Democrats as well. Um, and you make the point that if Lieberman had co- come out more strongly against Clinton, Clinton may – have been forced to step down. That was really informative. I actually don't remember that moment. But what I do remember is in 2000, Gore chooses Lieberman as his vice president, which is about as far as he can go to distance himself from Clinton. Yeah. Um, I'll be I'll be honest with you about something, which is that I, I'm a little bit unclear about what exact what it is that happened in between, you know, all these amazing polls coming out for Clinton during the impeachment drive uh, and during that whole year of 1998 and the campaign, at which point as, as you just said, like Gore made a conscious decision to distance, distance himself from Clinton um, and to embrace Lieberman again, who who is who had emerged as, as Clinton's top, you know, Democratic critic. Um, it suggests to me that that they made that they that they thought Clinton would hurt, you know, would hurt his campaign. Um, but why that would be, given that he was so popular, I'm not totally sure. And uh, I've got a uh, got a got a couple more episodes to go before I have to figure that out. <laughs> I've always thought Democrats would be in a much better position today. This is a very Game of Thrones way of thinking. But <laughs> if Clinton, just in the sense that, you know, what goes up must come down when someone is at the bottom, they'll rise to the top. That's just sort of the whole 
the whole underlying theme of Game of Thrones, it feels to me. Um, but if Clinton had stepped aside in 1998, handed things off to Gore, and Gore had the power of incumbency, as close as the 2000 election was, I don't see how Gore could have lost in 2000. And I think he would have gone strongly for the environment. I doubt we would have invaded Iraq. And we'd have a totally different world. I think that's correct. Um, I think uh, I think there were people at the time who wondered why is it such a horrible, unthinkable scenario that we would have Gore as president for two years, uh, given that it would you know put him in a good position to to win re-election in in two thousand. Uh, and I think everything you just said is right. I think one one, one thing we've we, you know we've tried to do on slow burn is try to isolate these moments when history you know went one way when it could have gone the other way and how how a lot of a lot of the let's say plot that drives uh history is circumstantial and 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 uh in some ways arbitrary uh but yeah like with the with the gore thing it's kind of hard to to overstate just how different history would have gone um if if in fact he Clinton had resigned and, and Gore had taken his place because I do think he would probably would have won that election I think he probably wouldn't have gone into Iraq and and uh given his environmentalist uh, beliefs, you know, maybe we would be uh, further along on uh, climate change than, than we are. I think almost certainly. Um, maybe, maybe that's a good movie. We can have this speculative fiction about what if Gordon <laughs> won. So <laughs> a, a liberal, liberal fantasy. Yeah. There've only been two impeachments. I'm sorry. There've been three impeachments. Uh, the third being <laughs> Andrew Johnson. I don't suspect you're yeah. going to do a season on Andrew Johnson. Yeah, I think the I think the archival audio on that is a little thin, unfortunately, and uh, not not enough people uh, still kicking from that era for us to uh, for us to interview. So, <laughs> do you need there to be another impeachment for there to be another season of Slow Burn? <laughs> no, I don't think so. Uh, you know, when we were trying to choose our, our our topic for season two, one of the con- one of the considerations was how do we define the show in a way that's not too narrow, right? I mean. Are we really just doing a show about impeachments? That seems that seems as narrow as you can as you can get, right? As you said, it leaves you very few options for what to do uh, next. Um, so I think we are thinking of the show as a as a show about uh, historical events that that were uh, completely uh, all consuming when they when they unfolded, uh, but that have. Uh, faded a little bit in, in, in people's memories and in people's and, and just faded in terms of how much people know about them, uh, the, the details of them. Um, and so I think for our, for our, for our next trick, <laughs> I think we're going to look for, for a story far enough back that, that the details have kind of become fuzzy, but that happened recently enough that, um, there is sort of a, a cultural valence to the story that we can push against or engage with, if that makes sense. Like we want, we want, like our, our ideal listener is someone who, who knows, uh, something about the story, who, who has certain, you know, moments in their brain that they've filed away through osmosis or, or otherwise. Um, they, they vaguely know who Linda Tripp is. They vaguely know that, um, you know, they vaguely know that Clinton had an affair with Lewinsky, but they don't know how many, you know, how many months it lasted or, or what it actually involved. You know, we want to meet those people halfway and and really kind of make guesses about what is conventional wisdom, and then go there and enrich uh, that person's uh, understanding of what happened. Um, well, I love the show. I could talk to you for seventeen hours. I I will listen to as many of these as you make. Um, is there anything? Is there anything you want people to know? Or any any final thoughts? 
Uh, I don't know. I think uh, I'm excited for the last two episodes of the season. Uh, episode seven and eight. They're gonna be. Uh, they're gonna be. I think just as fun for people who have enjoyed uh, the first six of the season. And uh, I guess I should mention the tour. We're going on tour in uh, in October. We're gonna do five five dates uh, in Washington, New York, uh, Portland, San Francisco, and Chicago. And uh, People can uh, people can get tickets at slate.com slash live. Sorry to be a pitch man here, um, but I think it is going to be a great show. We're 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 uh, we're, we're, we're writing sort of a, a special story um, that, that we will perform live uh, at the top of the show, and then we're going to have um, interviews with color cultural critics uh, like Wesley Morris uh, to talk about the Lewinsky Clinton scandal, um, as well as uh, in sort of an, an onstage interview about the show itself and how we made it. Fantastic. Um, I know a lot of people listening to this will be there. So thank you. Um, Thanks so much for uh, taking the time. This is great.